0: Welcome to episode 2081 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg rally of Fangraphs and I'm joined as always by Ben Limberger of the Ringer. Ben, how are you?
1: All right. How are you?
0: I'm all right.
1: Excellent. You know, I was talking last time about how all else being equal, I'm more excited by an international free agent mm. because we haven't had a chance to see them play on a daily basis. Mm. And I really had that driven home for me on Saturday because I wanted to watch Yoshinobu Yamamoto in what will almost certainly be his final NPB start. yeah, And a huge start. He was uh, pitching in the Japan series, game six. That's NPB's equivalent of the World Series. And his team was facing elimination. So Oryx uh, had to win or else they would be going home. And he was coming off The worst start of his career. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, his NPB send-off and so much is at stake. They're playing Hanshin, who are still subject to the curse of the colonel, which we talked about hundreds of episodes ago. The the curse that uh, has supposedly prevented them from winning a Japan series since 1985 because of a statue of KFC's Colonel Sanders that was... immersed, sunk to the bottom of a river and ever since then. Hanshin has uh, not managed to win the Japan Series since that season. So a lot at stake. Yeah. And I, I could not watch the game. I just, yeah. like, there was no way to watch the game. I mean... yeah. We think of this as a global society, <laughs> you know. We're, yeah. We're used to having information and video and audio at our fingertips. We can access any information at any time. And this is the best player in NPB on the yeah. biggest stage in NPB, about to be one of the most coveted MLB free agents. Yeah. About to make an enormous amount of money. Yeah. And as soon as he makes his MLB debut, we will have access to. Every move he makes on the field, like literally, physically, you know, everything he does will be tracked. We'll be able to look up everything about all of his pitches and all the data and everything. And even now in 2023, it's like he's playing in another world or something. Right. I, I could not watch it. You know, like the, the game is just, there's no way to stream it legally yeah. in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like I'm, I'm not accustomed to being deprived of <laughs> information, it's always at my fingertips with baseball. I'm spoiled.
0: Yeah, we are definitely spoiled and yes, it it is a an area where there there seems like there is still a bit of work to be done to like give us the the stuff that we want cuz we mm-hmm. g- give it, give it to me. Yeah, g- give, me. It, give me it. You yeah. know, g- give me it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want the only real exposure that we have to players in this circumstance to be when they come to the US. Like NPB is a a real league and it's mm-hmm. got great players and it would be nice to be able to engage with that sort of on its own terms and you know who you who you target in that on its own terms is probably going to be dictated by who you might anticipate having an impact in major league baseball at some point but mm-hmm. you know there's stuff to appreciate and enjoy there on its own and it's hard to it's it's irritating that it's so hard to access right
1: mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, and I, mm. I guess that's uh, maybe partly on NPB for not promoting their product sure. better internationally totally. and uh, not giving me a legal way to watch. Right, I'm sure, I don't know that the market would be enormous, what with the time right. difference and everything. But still, for the for the sickos out there yeah. who would want to wake up early in the morning to watch that, that would be nice. Like there are some streaming service options for some games sometimes, like right. uh, Pacific League TV and and that sort of thing, but. For this series, the the broadcasting rights not available for those like it's like with MLB, where you you go from watching MLB TV to not being able to watch MLB TV in the postseason to see everything in real time. It's sort of a similar deal. And uh, Nippon Professional Baseball has the broadcasting rights, I think, for the Japan series and doesn't distribute those to anyone. And not great, not great from a, a promotional standpoint. I mean, I guess they'd just be promoting a player now who's coming to MLB anyway in this right. particular case. But, but still, you'd think, And and what if you're a Japanese person who has emigrated to the States and you want to follow your team and you want to watch the Japan series? You can't do it, I don't think. And so the only options, I think, were... If you use a VPN, right. you could uh, pretend to be in Japan and then you could watch something. Although, even with that service, I think it was only available live, not oh. archived. So, it would have been at 5.30 in the morning my time and 2.30 in the morning your time. Not yeah. ideal. <laughs> at
0: least for another day and a half, yeah.
1: Yeah, right. And then the other other option is just to find some sort of stream, right? which right. Uh, <laughs> And I... I I kind of attempted to do that and yeah. it it was uh it was not easy. The experience was not great. I will quote a tweet from the sometime baseball writer Jackie Moore who tweeted at 606 in the morning Eastern watching the Japan series as it was meant to be watched parentheses on a Korean sports betting site where the (laughs) stream constantly freezes and you can hear a dude complain over the stream mic when he has to restart it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's that's how you could tune in to watch Aomoto whereas next year we'll be able to see him in crystal clear HD every pitch that he throws and we'll have the data immediately and even with the data you can look up standard basic NPB stats easily but if you want the advanced stuff, right. you've either got to wade into some websites that might be tough to navigate because of the language yeah. barrier or you have to sign up for a subscription site that will give you graph style stats so again, it's like the second highest level league in the world and yet even for me a baseball diehard who just wants this information really tough to access it but he pitched really well he pitched a complete game and struck out an NPB or Japan Series record 14 guys broke Yu Darvish's uh, Japan Series strikeout record so going to game 7 which I will not be watching unless (laughs) I want (laughs) to stream on the Korean sports betting site
0: I think that I don't know, if there's like a cause for optimism here, it's that there is precedent within sort of international league spaces to incorporate that stuff into MLB TV. And granted, like I I imagine that if you're the league organizers of LEDOM, that your incentives for distribution on MLB TV are higher than they are for NPB. I wouldn't be surprised if MPB's like we're like a you know, we're like a real full season league as opposed mm-hmm. to lead home, which is winter ball right but like it's been so great to be able to watch lead home just on mlb tv and even prior to them doing that they had an app like they had you know in in 2020 we were able to just buy a sub for the lead home ser- season and just watch winter ball and that was great and so you know even even if it were on their own sort of streaming platform, I'd I'd spend money to be able to watch NPB, particularly if the games are archived and I can do it when it's not two thirty in the morning. So right. yeah. you know, like I, I don't know. Let's let, it seems like that should be something that can be figured out. And if you know, NPB is understandably unwilling to sort of bring MLB into that distribution channel but just has a service that you can stream like I uh, uh, you know there I think there are enough sickos to make that worth it so mm-hmm. get on it
1: right yeah it's uh i mean when we were kids obviously like before the internet this was how all of baseball was, and right. all things in general, you could sure. not access everything <laughs> at any time. I mean, people who are older than we are are probably like, "Yeah, this was how all of baseball was when right. I was a kid." Like, we, we'd have to, you know, get the box scores in the newspaper, yeah. get the the weekly leaderboards to see what everyone's stat was. We didn't have fancrafts and Baseball Reference, and right. you couldn't just stream everything. So, I'm again spoiled. It's 2023 oh, totally. now, and so I expect to be able to see right. anything, have all the information and in the video and everything at my fingertips. And in this right. one specific case, it's like, oh, no, this is what it used to be like. This is yeah. even before we were growing up and, and games were commonly broadcast. Uh, yeah. You know, there was a time when to see the baseball players, you basically had to go to the ballpark to, right. <laughs> to see them. So it's like... Probably there were a ton of MLB scouts in attendance at this game, I would imagine. And you might think, oh, why did they actually have to be there? You know, just get the video, just get the data like they do in MLB. No, I mean, if you're a team that that might be about to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on Yamamoto, you're like, I gotta go to Japan because otherwise I cannot watch this game. Unless, I'm imagining like, you know, Brian Cashman tuning into the, the Korean sports betting site to check out the free agent he might be about to spend Hundreds of millions on, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, we should say that like the the feed those feeds are available in other subscription services. That Teams definitely, like, you can see. Probably Teams
1: could, yes. Yeah,
0: you yeah. can see Yamamoto on Synergy, like that exists. But mm-hmm. I think that when you're getting ready to spend, you know, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars even as teams have moved away from in-person scouting in some instances i think that an owner would probably be like go buy a ticket and go to japan please like mm-hmm. let's you know yeah. let's get a sense of it in person i i, I don't know that seems uh, that seems like a reasonable thing to do f- to me regardless but particularly mm-hmm. when you're thinking about the kind of money that might be involved in a in a contract to sign yamamoto i bet some owners like yeah no I think we can like afford a, a flight and hotel for a little while for you mm-hmm. to go see this guy in person so yeah
1: sure yeah. we could we could expense that one he also yeah. he threw 138 pitches I heard which yeah. uh, I mean that that's is also lot. that's also a throwback that's like what yeah. year is it right so uh, when do you think the, the next time Yamamoto throws 138 pitches in a game never will be... <laughs> never
0: I think <laughs> yeah. he'll never do it again I he think this is the last time he will ever throw that many pitches yeah I was yeah. looking
1: to to see when the last time an MLB pitcher had thrown that many pitches is. And it's 2013. Wow. <laughs> it, so a full decade ago, 2013, July 13th, Tim Lincecum, he oh. <laughs> threw 148 pitches in his no-hitter. Uh, there's <laughs>
0: so, something about that. That's very funny to me, that it was yeah. like, it was Timmy. Oh, Tim. Yeah,
1: it was Timmy. And and even then, it wasn't common. That was the right, first time yeah. in three years, Edwin Jackson, in his no-hitter, threw 149 in 2010. Yeah. And then in Lincecum again in 2008, he did it in a non-no-hitter. He threw 138 exactly. And then you have to go back to LaVon Hernandez, who is the next five names on the list are all Levon Hernandez. Wow. <laughs> he threw 138, he threw 150 pitches in a game in 2005. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. And, and if you go back to the postseason... I was actually thinking that it would be more recent Mm. because, you know, big stage and everything and it's the end of the year and leave it all out on the line and all. But no, we haven't had a pitcher in MLB throw 138 pitches since Al Leiter in Game 5 of the 2000. world series he oh my a, gosh 142 pitches so yeah so not only will we be able to watch yamamoto's starts soon but also his starts will be subject to i would imagine much stricter pitch counts yeah. pitch limits. yeah
0: yeah geez wow i mm-hmm. wonder i wonder if that thought crossed his mind in the moment where he's like oh i never have to do that again
1: yeah yeah i mean <laughs> Good for him, I guess. He wasn't like, hey, you know, I have hundreds of millions of dollars on the line here, so uh, maybe you would take me up." No, he wanted to stay in that game. He was pitching well. So, yeah. And I didn't do anything to dissuade anyone from signing him unless they're yeah. concerned about his workload, I suppose. But little other bit of news. It's not really big news, uh, but the statement associated with the decision was uh, semi-newsy maybe. Mm-hmm. So, so the Reds and Joey Vado Nick Krall, who is the Pobo of the Reds, Pobo. he put out a statement because the Reds declined the option on yeah. Joey Votto. It was, what, a $20 million option. So they yeah. chose the $7 million buyout instead. Yeah. And Nick Kral said, for 17 seasons, Joey's been the heart of Reds baseball as a most valuable player, all-star, and respected clubhouse leader. His contributions to our team and his extraordinary generosity toward those in need throughout our region and beyond cannot be measured. At this point of the offseason, based on our current roster and projected plans for 2024, as an organization, we cannot commit to the playing time Joey deserves. Mm. He forever will be part of the Reds family. And at the appropriate time, we will thank and honor him as one of the greatest baseball players of this or any generation. So that's notable only because it, it seems to kind of close the book on the possibility of him returning to the Reds at all. Yeah. Yeah. No one expected them to pick up that option, no. but there was also the option, there still is the option to sign him to a, a lower salary deal. Right. Right. And it sounds like they're kind of
0: not gonna happen.
1: Yeah, it sounds like they're they're turning the page there. Yeah. So what would you like to happen with Joey Votto, and I think probably both of us are whatever he wants to do. But yeah, but yeah, what would what would make you happiest if it made him happy? Either mm. just retire so that he can be a career red, or play somewhere else, or go on to do whatever he's going to do post baseball, which seems like it it could be something fun and exciting for fans yeah. potentially.
0: I'm gonna offer what might seem like a controversial take. I know that like he has not had perhaps like the ultimate joy of like winning a World Series, right? Mm-hmm. He hasn't won a World Series, right? I'm nope. not forgetting. I'm not forgetting mm-hmm. a Reds World Series that <laughs> no, transpired over I don't the course think that of has his happened, career. No, but I don't think Joey Votto really has anything left to prove as mm-hmm. a player, and I know that like. His, it's not like he went out having had an MVP caliber season or anything like that. And one could make the argument, if one were so inclined, that like, you know, he he had like sixty five games. He dealt with injury. He didn't accrue positive war this season. He wasn't even a league average bat by WRC plus, but I think that Joey Votto has like proven himself as a player and he can, he can be done now if he wants, you know, I would, I would be okay if he decides, you know, I'm, I'm entering my age 40 season. I've dealt with sort of persistent injury stuff for most of the last little bit. I'm going to be done now. You know, I will have no trouble remembering his last full season as that like, not out of nowhere, but like really delightful, you know, he was like a four win player in 2021. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. It was fun. He had a 140 WRC plus he was.
1: And a different kind of player. Different kind of player. He had 36 home runs.
0: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so uh, that was, and then, you know, he had two seasons that were really compromised by injury. So I'm good, Joey. Like, you had an incredible career. You defined, in a very positive way, an era of Reds baseball. You are, you know, one of the. <laughs> this is such a, uh, this is such a way to describe it. But like, seemingly one of the good weird ones. You know, yeah. some so many of the weird ones we delighted in, Ben. They ended up not being good guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not true, Joey. And so if if he wants to. Kind of explore what a post-playing career life is like for him. If that involves baseball, great. If it doesn't involve baseball, uh, you know, I I'd be happy for him too. I don't need anything from Joey Votto. You know, I I think Joey Votto's given us a good deal, and mm-hmm. I feel I feel contented and just happy for him for the career he had. I don't know. Sometimes when a guy when a guy has a final two years that are as injury riddled as him. Like you could make the argument that like there's something left still to be done, but I, I don't know. I just don't have that feeling for him. Um, and particularly when you've had two kind of back to back that have had significant injury stuff, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It feels like well, you can be done now, Friend, like you can't yeah, I mean, well, we're not friends. <laughs> I don't say that like we're enemies to be mm-hmm. clear, but like I don't know Joey Votto, but um, you know, like he had the he had so much shoulder stuff and he had stuff this year and there was the biceps issue and all that, so it's just like you know, Joey, you had a good one. I think he's a is Joey Votto a hall of famer for you, Ben.
1: Yeah, I think he should be. I think and he should be too. I think other people probably would still consider him borderline. So you could say yeah. that if that's important to him, then yeah. if, he, if he sticks around, I mean, he may be past the point of really being able to bolster his Hall of Fame case right. unless you're just talking about counting right. stats and and milestones. Like
0: 2021, I think, yeah. really um, injected life into the resume in an mm-hmm. important way for him. I think that he was more... Borderline for more people prior to that that last season because mm-hmm. like he had a good twenty twenty but it was like you know it was a good twenty twenty what mm-hmm. does that mean to anyone mm-hmm. we don't right. know we don't know how people are going to sort of fold that into anyone's understanding of yeah of a guy's resume right
1: yeah you could say that if anything he's hurting himself in case if it's based right. on rate stats like after 2021 through that season he was a career 302 hitter right so his his slash stats through 2021 302 417 520 so if he had retired and people might have said oh you know only 330 homers or whatever but you could have said yeah 300 400 500 guy and because he's hit in the low 200s the last couple seasons he's now down to 294 career I don't know whether Hall of Fame voters still count batting average against a guy, but, but, you know, he's not like close to a big round number. I don't think that would really help him at this point. So, but I would be all in favor of him playing if he still enjoys playing. And there was a, he said several years ago, like back in 2016, he said, I'd rather quit and leave all the money on the table then play at a poor level. So right. I I don't think he wants to play if he'd be bad, of course, but right. he he might convince himself that he wouldn't be bad. And right. and, it, and he wasn't bad to be clear this year. He, he was just he was below hurt. league average and and that was after coming back from right. rehabbing an injury and long layoff and everything. So yeah. if if he could convince himself that hey, you know, a full healthy season sure. maybe I have a little left, it would be fun to see him in like a late career Giambi role yeah. somewhere, just like yeah. clubhouse leader, veteran mentor who, you know, pinch hits sometimes and and right. like lefty slugger who still has some pop, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like because he does have significant splits on a career level uh, you know he's hit righties better than lefties and sure. not so much in the last couple seasons but but like in 2021 he crushed righties he hit 31 of his 36 homers against righties that year so yeah. so if someone said yeah you know if Southpaw just uh, bring him up every now and then pinch hit late innings spot starts be a, a star clubhouse character guy yeah I, I would be into that if, if he were into that
0: I would be into that if he were into that. I would be into like, and I don't know if he has any interest in, in doing this, but I feel like he would be a real asset to the Players Association in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like he would be, I don't know. Like, he, he strikes me as someone who has something to give to the game yet, if he mm-hmm. wants to. And I think that, he might be like an interesting person to sort of serve as a liaison between current players and the association. So like that was an idea that occurred to me. I mean, like, I don't know how the, I don't want to call his personality a shtick cause that's like insulting, but you know, I don't know how, how, um, over a lot of exposure I would feel about <laughs> like the personality, yeah. but I don't know. Like he I think he has a really interesting perspective on the game and I want to hear more about his thoughts about baseball if he wants to share them. You know what I mean? Mhm. So, that's kind of where I'm at, but if he wants to like you know, strap an Airstream to the back of a vehicle and we not hear from him again for a while. Like, that would be fine, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, there was a New York Times article about him. I think it was by Zach Buchanan, actually, in September. And he was talking about how he was just starting to enjoy... What he does or or playing, he said, this is the first time in my career I realized that I love what I do and that he's just kind of relaxed a little because he was so – focused and kind of a baseball monk early in his career and he's really loosened up and and been more i don't know if gregarious exactly is the word for him but just outgoing and and shown people more of his personality and also yeah changed his game a little bit more so from the extremely patient take a ton of walks to actually gonna swing and try to hit for power and and also strike out a bit more and so He's had this late career evolution that uh, I'd kind of be curious to see where it goes. I enjoy when someone has a career spent entirely with one franchise because it doesn't happen all that often. But I I wouldn't say like I'd prefer for him to – retire than to play in another uniform it would be weird to see him in another uniform and probably yeah. it would turn into one of those things where like you forget that that ever happened and then you see a baseball card or something of, of that guy in that uniform at the tail end of their career and you're like oh yeah I forgot about when so and so was on that team I just memory hold that because I so associate him with some other so if he went to the Blue Jays or if he went to the Blue Jays that'd be fun right just uh, getting to get into play in Canada and everything but but if he went to some other team, probably we would all forget that that ever happened unless he had some incredible swan song there. But yeah, yeah I mean part of me just thinks like If he were retired, he could just uh, be a commentator. He could be on MLB Network. He could be on broadcasts and he would have more intelligent commentary, more thoughtful commentary and well-considered commentary than a lot of broadcasters and ex-player commentators do. So I, I would like that. I don't know if he's interested in that because there was also a quote in Zach's article where Votto said, truly, I fantasize about this. I dream about playing my last game and basically shutting everything off, saying goodbye on social, saying goodbye to the media and just getting away like I'm done. I'm done with baseball, done with the public eye. And when I read that, I was sort of skeptical because he has been so out there for the past few years (laughs) just the fact that he calls it social Just kinda tell you like he was going all in on being an influencer for a while. And for a minute, yeah. Yeah. And and that's kind of along the lines of what you're saying, like would this get old? I did feel at a certain point that he was kind of Clout chasing, almost yeah. in a weird way. Not cleat chasing, clout chasing. Just like you know, he was like dressing up in all sorts of outfits and like you know, showing up to play chess and doing all these things that yeah. like seem to be calculated to get attention in almost a thirsty sort of way. Yeah. Uh, even though a lot of people appreciated it i think but but maybe that was just a phase on the whole whenever he's interviewed whenever he has thoughts on the game or what it's like to be a baseball player or an athlete it's always a really interesting perspective so i would be sort of sorry if we didn't keep hearing from him in that capacity if if yeah. he did just disappear and turn into lumberjack dexter and go out into the woods somewhere in flannel and we never saw or heard from him again yeah. I would, I would miss uh, his thoughts on the game. So, yep. I don't know if he'd want to do it every day, but I, I hope he's a little bit in the public eye, whatever he does.
0: If that's what he wants to do, then I, I hope for that too, because I do mm-hmm. think it is a he has a really interesting perspective on the sport. But yeah. I also understand when people want to be like, leave me alone, you know? Yeah, gonna yeah, go, I'm gonna go be left alone now, please. Mm-hmm. Um, ben, we have mm-hmm. breaking news on the pod. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. What is Detroit it? Tigers have acquired Mark Hanna from Kanna. Kanna? What am I? Who am I? <laughs> what am I saying? Mark Kanna, you know, yeah. the guy you might be familiar with from Milwaukee mm-hmm. in exchange for a minor league pitcher. Uh-huh. So I mm. have to bother some people about the top 50. Oh, yeah. Well, it's okay. I mean, like, you know, the news, it doesn't wait. It doesn't mm-hmm. wait, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... Uh, I imagine that that means that the Tigers will be picking up his club option. For
1: yeah, I guess so. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, I think that we're starting to get pieces of an answer to our earlier question about like what's what are the, what are the the Brewers going to do with themselves? How do they yeah. view themselves? And perhaps they are uh, viewing themselves in a little bit of a rebuilding mode. You know, maybe perhaps
1: hmm. yeah maybe. Because- because it wasn't uh, a super expensive option. It was eleven point five, right? And there was a two million dollar buyout. So I guess they they get out of the two million dollar buyout yeah. by trading him to the Tigers. So yeah, if the if the Tigers are more willing to spend on on that, kind, like. Canna was, was good for the Brewers. Yeah. So that doesn't seem like it would be a, a bad amount of money for a team no. to play, pay for Mark Canna. So, it doesn't
0: it doesn't mm. seem like it would be a bad amount now, does it? Mm-mm. Mm, no.
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's disconcerting potentially, but but I don't know. I'd have to look at their depth charts. Like with the Reds, for instance, you could see why they don't really have a spot for Joey Votto because they just have so many infielders and they more have so in many infielders. But yeah, yeah, so you want to turn that position over to Encarnacion Strand? I, I get yeah. it, and and you could say, well, couldn't they keep Votto around in a part-time sure. bench capacity and maybe, but. Maybe, you know, you have a player who's been the face of your franchise and it can get kind of awkward, right? But, yeah, so, you
0: want to make him a platoon guy, really? Right.
1: And and I wonder, maybe the fact that they put out that statement and did what they did, maybe that means that they've talked to Joey Votto because, right. like, if he were ready to retire— and, right. Hang him up. Then they could have done a coordinated thing, right? Like we're right. declining the option, and also congrats on your retirement, Joey Vado. Right. <laughs> right? Right. So the fact that they didn't do that makes me think that he I mean, still they must wants to play
0: a little bit, right? Yeah, because yeah. they
1: must have said to him, "Hey, you know, how you feeling? Uh, you ready yeah. to <laughs> ready to retire?" And, and right. he was like, "No, nope, not yet." So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. And and the allusion to the playing time that he yeah. deserves or, you know, maybe that means he still sees himself as someone who could start regularly or play regularly. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Mm. All right. Well, that's something to monitor. So, yeah, I guess the Brewers, I mean, they, they felt like they needed Kana enough to go get him. But but then, you know, they have Freilich, right? So he can he can play in the corner and then, I guess, who's even, like, their first baseman now would be Rowdy Tolez, I guess. For, Probably for Rowdy
0: the, again. I mean, they, for now. Yeah, um, they went
1: through a whole just merry-go-round yeah. at first base before they got canna and santana and everyone so
0: hmm Hmm, ben hmm Hmm. man we record on a saturday and we're (laughs) rewarded with news
1: (laughs) breaking news yeah imagine if we hadn't been able to to talk about the mark canna trade till monday or something everyone would have been like where's effectively wild where's the emergency pod on the mark canna trade
0: look i just think that um we should be conscious of the fact that he's a foodie He's yeah. a, a favorite. He is a. Don't they smack their own behinds? Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And it's because of it's because of Mark Like they were doing that in um, New York. So I just think that this is a man who deserves recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, for you foodies out there, he uh, caught the first pitch when Allison Roman threw out a, fair, a ceremonial first pitch. So it's uh-huh. just a saying, you know. Mm-hmm. And now he gets to go. Um, collect an absurd number of hit by pitches in <laughs> in a different Central's uniform. Yeah. Um, but you know, everyone's sitting out there going, "We need we need reaction from uh, the guy who got hit in one of the guys who got hit in the butt in a suggestive way." And Marquinhos on that list. You know, that's yeah. part of our demo too, Ben.
1: Marquinhos seems like a delight. Seems like a great. He does guy. seem
0: like a delight. Yeah, yeah, seems like a delightful guy.
1: Okay, let's do a few emails here. This one's from Parsnip Pizza, or that's what Parsnip Pizza goes by on Patreon. Do you have a name in mind for a gold glove and silver slugger season? So a season where someone wins a gold glove and a silver slugger. Metal man, platinum player, Mm. what are your thoughts?
0: (laughs) Oh, let's think about that. I'm resistant to metal man because... I don't know. It feels like it doesn't uh, evoke the the quality that we are trying to to muster, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because these are precious metals, right? Uh, right. They're not just metals. Like, you're not recycling your gold glove. That mm-hmm. would be ridiculous. And yeah. there are awards that already use platinum. So, I yeah. feel like if we do that, that's going to cause confusion.
1: Yeah, I, I- Metalman's kind of fun, but but you said the word precious. I was going to suggest precious player. The precious oh, p- a precious player. But see, player. Like
0: precious also has its own connotation, right? Like <laughs> that's you're being true. a you're being a bit precious. Um yeah. and that's derogatory generally.
1: True, but on field you are pretty precious if you win a yeah. gold glove and a silver sucker. So yeah.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Maybe. Maybe just MVP, because <laughs> if, <Yeah>. if, <laughs> if you're a Gold Glover and you're a, you're the best hitter at your position, then you're you're probably going to be in contention at least. At least, right? yeah, you're yeah. going to be
0: in the conversation, even if you don't end up winning. But again, I think we want to stay away from um, designations that exist and mean something specific already. You know mm-hmm. what I mean?
1: Baseball Almanac has a list of the players who won Gold Glove and Silver Slugger in the same season. So last year, no one did it in the American League. In the NL, Nolan Arnado, Mookie Betts, and JT Real Muto all did it. 2021... Marcus Semien, and Max Freed when pitchers still hit. Uh, 2020, Mookie Betts did it. Mookie Betts did it in 2019 as well. Mookie Betts did it in 2018. Maybe <laughs> Mookie Betts did it in 2016. This is this is the Mookie. Maybe you're yeah. just a Maybe Mookie. it's
0: just the Mookie. Oh, yeah. I like that. I, I really like naming um, awards after players, and it's fun when we can start to do it with contemporaneous players because so yeah. often... We're evoking players from the past, which is, you know, its own kind of special thing. Um, mm-hmm. But when you have a, a recent example of excellence, I, I think it's nice to name um, yeah. name awards after him. And provided we don't ask him questions about former questionable <laughs> teammates of his, we can do it without having any compunction.
1: Mookie, yeah. my Actually, God. Nolan Arnato did it. Not only last year, but 2018, 2017, 2016, and 2015. Okay. So maybe, it's, maybe it's the Nolan.
0: Maybe it's the Nolan. And I like that because I will say, like, I certainly appreciate... Like, when I think of... If you were to ask me to give, a like, a snap reaction to what kind of fielder is Mookie Betts, good or bad, my, my instinct would be good. But, like, Nolan Arenado is, like, superlative, you know? Yeah. And so maybe that's a better answer because you you really, like, can you think off the top of your head, like, what is the best, like, play that Mookie Betts ever made? And maybe you have a, an answer for that in the outfield, because, like, you know, mm. he's had some really good plays, but, like, I, you say like, you know, pick Nolan Arenado's best play at third base, and I'm like, I can't pick, pick just one? Like, why am I yeah. always forced to make these terrible choices? Because he's gotten, he's had so many that have just been so, like, Incredible. So maybe I like the Nolan, although the Nolan is such a, you know, we got to come up with new names. I think Mm -hmm. we need new names, Ben, because like we got too many of these. And, of course, they get named after guys who were really great. But, like, you got so Mm -hmm. many Nolans. We got a lot of, you know, first name. This is, you know, I'm not going to make you do it. But, like, in terms of war concentrated in a first name, Mm -hmm. Nolan probably... High on the list, right? Especially <laughs> for a name that isn't common.
1: Yeah, the baseball mm. almanac calls it the the Silver and Gold Club. <laughs> I guess that's an option.
0: Isn't there a Christmas song, Silver and Gold, Silver yeah. and Gold, and... yeah
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, yes. There, we both like Christmas music, and it's almost yeah. there's, there's a bird the live time. song. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, ben, it's not time to decorate for Christmas But we're we are we're in the month where I decorate mm-hmm. for Christmas
1: I'm going to do a, a brief step blast later But this will be a, a even briefer step blast before the step blast So the, the all-time leaders in being the metal man or the precious player Or the silver and gold club or whatever We were just talking about Mookie and Nolan Arnato, But there's a three-way tie at the top Barry Bonds Okay. Van Rodriguez and Ken Griffey Jr. all oh had seven seasons when they won a Silver Slugger and a Gold Glove. Yeah, Mookie and, and Arnado have had five. Kirby Puckett also had five. And then Mike Schmidt and Ryan Sandberg had six.
0: I don't think you can name an award after Puckett because it sounds like you're saying a different set of words if you <laughs> say it too fast. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I don't know. I like the no one.
1: Yeah, the Nolan's pretty good. The Nolan's
0: pretty good. I -hmm. I like that. Yeah. All right. Mm. Okay,
1: next question comes from Jason, Patreon supporter. Imagine that one day an average starting pitcher ends up in a time loop that just so happens to be on a day he is scheduled to start, assuming Groundhog Day rules, so every other person's behaviors are set in stone unless the pitcher interacts with them differently. How many times would it take for this pitcher to reliably pitch a perfect game 50% of the time? There's no escape to this time loop. He must start the game in every loop, and he can only exit the game if the manager pulls him. So so Jason wants to know how long does it take until he's like a coin flip to pitch a perfect game, the idea being that he's going to get so good because the the batters – behaviors will be so predictable after he makes the start against the same team and these same players over and over and over again.
0: Okay, so here's the thing about it, though. Wouldn't he want to do different stuff? though, and then, like, he would not know what the batters are going to
1: do. <laughs> well, there's always the part in the beginning of the, whether it's Groundhog Day or Palm Springs or whatever it is, when you realize you're in a time loop, at first you freak out, and and then you get, like, resigned, or I guess right. maybe you enjoy it for a while, you know? You're right. like, I can do anything, no consequences. Uh, and then I'll you just, really want to get out of there. And then you really desperately want to get out of there, yeah, and then you get resigned to it, maybe. So... Yeah. So there will be a time where he will be so sick of this that he will just like what's he doesn't have to make the start. Right. Because he could just he could just leave. I mean, he might be trapped in this day, but he could always just leave and not be a baseball player that day. Right. But
0: yeah, I guess
1: I don't know what. What could stop him exactly like the the question says that he he has to make the start and he can only leave the game when the manager pulls him pulls but him. but if he just flees the ballpark i don't know what what could stop him <laughs> exactly if he refuses to pitch right so but but if he just wants to if he wants to say well i'm trapped in this time loop at least i want to experience the joy of a perfect game one time like uh, how how much better do you think it makes him that he is able to predict the like what will work i guess kind of it's uh...
0: i mean i still think it would be tricky because like okay so you know if he has memory of what has already happened you know some of it might depend on the the quality the baseline quality of the start right because he's a he's a league average pick pitcher, but like league average pitchers have really good starts and they have starts that are real stinkers. So like Mm -hmm. some of it I imagine would depend on what is the baseline quality of the initial Groundhog Day start, right? And then like what is the complexion of that start? Because like if he is mostly getting all of his outs in that start via, like, strikeouts, Mm -hmm. and then he gives up a couple of home runs, well, it seems like it would be, like, a good— it would be easier to elevate the start because he'd know, okay, I threw that pitch, and that pitch—then that hitter— it hit a bomb off of it. So I'm going to not throw that pitch. I'm going to throw a different pitch. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he still has to see what the hitter does in response to that. Or maybe he he just varies the location ever so slightly or whatever. Like he knows like, oh, I'm going to hang this one. So I got it. But then are you in your own head about it? You're like, I hung that one in the last start. And then I guess you get a lot of chances to just undo <laughs> it. Yeah, But this one is a hard scenario for like Groundhog Day type stuff because Perfect Games are dependent on often dependent on the behavior of others and he can only alter his own behavior so Mm -hmm. like what if you know part of the problem is that like are you assured of being able to like throw a different pitch and prevent the second baseman from booting the ball you know and that's what did you in like i guess Mm -hmm. you can throw a different pitch but then like are you sure that it's gonna be Better than the outcome is going to be better when you throw a different pitch. I mean, I guess this is what you're going to find out. Right. But (laughs) I I don't know. It's like it's it is a collective project to a certain degree. But if you're like a big strikeout guy, maybe you're able to find your way towards something pretty reliable because you're just like, I'm just going to strike them all out.
1: You know? Yeah. I, I don't think there's any point where he's 50% to no, pitch a perfect game. That's, you could definitely up your odds, but you're never going to get there because, no. yeah, it, it's not like being able to predict like, okay, I threw him that last time and right. he swung and he missed and so all I have to do and and then this time I threw him that and he hit it i mean first of all you can't throw exactly the same pitch right. over and over again right. because uh, your performance is still going to be a bit variable and right. we already have scouting reports and tendencies so you you could right. already get a good sense of yeah. what is this hitter's weakness maybe you get a, a more personalized sense after if you start against this team hundreds of Times yeah then then you might know, okay, I can throw this guy this pitch, like I don 't know that there's going to be a pitch that that you can throw where it's just, yeah, this is an automatic out and this is an automatic out, right like you still have to execute right, you still have to place that pitch in the perfect place yeah. and It's just not going to be exactly the same pitch every time. So you're not going to be able to just get through a start by saying, if I throw, okay, curveball to this guy, all right, Right. he's going to swing through that. And then if I throw a sinker, then he's going to roll over and it'll be a little tapper back to me and I'll throw him out. You're still going to screw up. Your fielders are still going to screw up. So I think maybe the biggest benefit would be if you do this for – years then you you could become a better pitcher Right, not not just because you'd be able to predict what someone will chase or whatever, but you have a
0: fresh arm every day.
1: You have a fresh arm every day, and so you could get so much practice. Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't matter if you stink because it's a time loop. So you could just experiment. You could benched. No, or if you do whatever, your your starts over for that day, and you go back. Yeah, I I don't know if you have to do the entire day or if it's just the game is the Mm -hmm. loop, but right. But you could say, I want to learn a new pitch, and right. I'm just going to tinker with it, and I'll throw only that pitch in this start, and right. I'll give up a zillion runs, and then I'll but get taken out. it won't matter. It won't matter, and ultimately, I will be able to throw every pitch, at least that my, my mechanics, my anatomy allows, right. and that would make you a lot better over time because you could just practice much more than any other pitcher can practice because usually right. you have to allow some time for your – arm to recover in your whole body whereas in this case you still remember the previous day but presumably right. your your body resets and right. there's no strain additional strain on your arm so that would be I think the big the big benefit
0: do you okay i'm going to ask a question how long would it take in his sort of stages of groundhog day grief before he just had one where he's like, "I'm gonna hit every single one of these powers. I'm just <laughs> oh, sick yeah. of these stupid guys." Like, how that would how happen. long until there's yeah. like a giant hey? Mm-hmm. hmm.
1: Yeah, that yeah. would probably still happen. <laughs> I mean, because. Ethically, I guess uh, it's not really that more, much more defensible for you to cause the people pain, even if you know that it's just going to start over again and they won't remember it and and the normal rules of time and space don't really apply. You're still causing suffering in that moment. But but you'd just be so bored oh and probably God. so depressed at some point that to feel yeah. anything, you might just be like, yeah, I'm just going to plunk gonna everyone. This guy. I'm going to plunk. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to
0: plunk every one of them.
1: How long will it take for them to throw me out? You know, you right. just want to explain. Experiment with anything.
0: Yeah, I think that that piece of it would be fascinating, I think.
1: And your commands would get better over time with just the practice too. So so you would be able to repeat your mechanics better and repeat your in theory, yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think like, well, does muscle memory is that not preserved? But I guess muscle memory is is largely in your brain. So, right. so yeah. you would retain that even though your body is is not really retaining the soreness or the strain or anything. Right. So so yeah, I think you would become the best pitcher in baseball. At some point, assuming that or at you're least starting the
0: very, very best version of yourself possible. Yeah, right. right. Like again, it dep- I know he's. It is put as being league average, but like mm-hmm. there, there are going to be, I imagine, like physical limitations to the the pitcher and his profile that yeah. you know kind of put you in right. a weird spot.
1: Yeah, because. I guess you can't change yourself physically, probably. Like, if you spent that entire day lifting, right? Like, the the gate, right. g- you would not retain your gains. Like, you right. couldn't you get couldn't stronger. You couldn't
0: get bigger and stronger. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you couldn't do like a, a, a velocity building program and throw right. weighted balls because all right. of that would be reset. Yeah. So,. Yeah, yeah. You, your physical tools, I guess, would be frozen and yes. it would all be just about the your, your wiliness and yeah. also, yeah, like what you can learn to, you know, a different grip or whatever right. it is, right? Right, so. right.
0: Hmm. And so you would still be able to derive benefit from the experience, but yes. the kind of benefit you could derive would be you know, physically constrained to your current version of yourself um, and then whatever sort of practice and mental acuity you draw from that experience that puts you in a position to succeed, which to be clear, like, I think you would get, I think you definitely would get better. um, Mm -hmm. But I think that there would be a limit to what you could, could do because yeah, it would be, your arm would just reset in ways Mm -hmm. that would be, Beneficial to you because you'd never be exhausted from the prior day's start, but would also prevent you from, you know, undertaking a velocity program or anything like that. You know, you might find a way to warm up that feels better for your Mm -hmm. body throughout the start. So it's not like there are no physical sort of impacts that something like this could have, but they would I think they would be limited to what you could reasonably achieve in a twenty four hour period, you know?
1: Yeah. Although if you get bored enough and there are no consequences for anything, then you could become really adept at cheating and or sabotage. So so you could Let's say you experimented with certain substances that sure. normally you wouldn't risk it because you don't want to get caught. You don't want to get suspended. suspended you don't have to worry yeah. about that here. So no, you, you could – and and hmm, I mean you're still going to get checked by the umps and everything. But, right. but you could find some way to circumvent that potentially or – Like what if you food poison your opponents or something? Oh my gosh! Depends how devious you want to get here, but but
0: I feel like you learn a lot about your own moral boundaries. Probably, yeah. In a situation like this, or like I mean, everyone else is is behaving exactly the same way, right? So Mm -hmm. think about the sign stealing you could get up to. Think about you know you could do all sorts of. You could do all sorts of stuff.
1: Yeah, I guess that doesn't mm. help you so much, the sign stealing. It could, would help your hitters make sure you, you get right. the win. Right. But yeah, like you could learn the routines of security and you could sneak into the clubhouse and, and give everyone diarrhea and then they would be unable to perform at their high level.
0: Not everyone is going to eat Brussels sprouts at five in the morning. <laughs> then. You'd have to come up with something else.
1: Yeah. But you'd have an infinite number of trials to do that. So, yeah, so yeah it might be more about sabotage than it is uh, improving yourself, or you could do a bit of both. But, yeah, you're never going to get to 50%.
0: What if you develop a taste for inflicting pain on other people, though? And <laughs> then you, like, get out of the time loop and suddenly you're a serial killer?
1: <laughs> yeah. No. I don't know. I don't know. I think... It's- I-
0: think it's best to stay away from time loops you know oh, yeah, you know you might come out of that really changed and not in a charming bill murray kind of a way
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, okay well i'm just thinking about how much just <laughs> just how much facing a certain hitter day after day yeah when you you learn things about them but they don't learn anything don't about learn you about you yeah and mm. so just knowing in a personalized sense not just the generic scouting report or how they right. do against a certain pitch type, but how they do against your pitches specifically yeah on certain counts and everything and and what they're picking up that day and what they're not yeah, that would definitely make you better it just it you're never going to get around just the randomness of baseball right. that you can't defeat the randomness really no. entirely even in a time loop scenario so
0: no hmm.
1: okay All right. This is a a follow-up to what we started last episode talking about, which was uh, Chris Gilligan's post at Fangraphs about which franchise that has never won a World Series will win one next. Jake says, Chris's article about who will win their first World Series next got me thinking about a related but I think more answerable question. Who will win one first, the Rockies or any franchise that does not yet exist? Oh, wow. Given that we have no idea when the next expansion will happen and that it will be almost certainly in a fairly small market with a team that will be bad to start, it seems like the smart answer should be the Rockies. That said, I have zero faith in the Rockies given current ownership and generally given the challenges of their environment. So personally, I do think I'd have to say a franchise (sighs) that doesn't exist yet is more likely. Interested to hear what you think.
0: I wonder how many Rockies fans listen to our show, Ben. Like, yeah. And not because – I don't think we try to be mean about the Rockies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they do offer a lot of opportunities to um, express doubt about yep. their future prospects, um, both literal and figurative, I suppose. Yep. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't begrudge a Rockies fan just being like, I know you don't mean to be mean, but I'm over this. <laughs> so anyway, that's the thing I think about. Well, I guess Ben, how long do you think it's going to take before we get actual expansion? That's an important <sighs> question to answer in this yeah. in our consideration here. Like yeah. I in the next 10 years, right? Probably in yes. the next 10 years we'll have we'll have some new so. franchises, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, right. the the current CPA already allows for it, right? And so sure. if if you get the the A's and the Rays' situations screwed so squared away soon screwed enough.
0: away. That was <laughs> a, that away. was a Freudian slip about the yeah.
1: Oakland Athletics, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Maybe they have been screwed. They'll be screwed regardless. But yeah, I mean, there was a a report. I think it was in July. I think it was not even a report it was Manfred said that MLB is going to be exploring potential expansion to 32 teams pretty soon. Yeah. So I don't know what pretty soon means exactly but yeah certainly within 10 years I would I would think and maybe quite possibly maybe, sooner. Yeah.
0: Maybe sooner. But like it, it's going to take them a minute to like build the Yes. So like even if the even if we got, you know, um, a mandate tomorrow that we're getting two new expansion teams. Like what do you remember? I do not the time from like announcing the Rays and the Diamondbacks to there actually being mm. Rays and Diamondbacks games. I don't you would yes. think I'd remember because boy did they did they play the the Arizona Diamondbacks video a lot this postseason <laughs> in Chase. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need to see any more of Budsy. Like I am set.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I think it was a few years, yeah. at least.
0: It takes a little while, and then they have to mm-hmm. do the expansion draft, they have to build a ballpark, you know. I wonder where the. I mean, where will they play? Hmm. hmm. I mean, not just, like, their actual games, but, like, are these, do you do it so that you have one new Cactus League team and one new Grapefruit mm-hmm. League team? Hmm. Yeah. Things yeah, we I wonder about. Mm-hmm. I don't know either. But anyway... Um, so you figure, like, even if they were to announce tomorrow, which would be quite surprising, that, hey, congratulations, Nashville and Portland or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, I'm really skeptical of Portland as an expansion site. I feel like the Mariners aren't going to let that happen. But anyway.
1: With the, the 98 round of expansion. Yeah. So they MLB had an expansion committee in March 1994 when right. a bunch of groups representing nine cities submitted yes. bids. And then March 9th, 1995 was when they awarded the franchises. So yeah, it right. was it was a few years, three years. Three years, after yeah, because 98 yeah. was the
0: first year mm-hmm. for... Okay, so so like we would be looking at, at the earliest play in like probably like twenty twenty seven, you know, twenty twenty eight, if they announce it tomorrow. Yeah. Um and they probably won't. So mm-hmm. you figure that Yeah, I'd say
1: like twenty thirty, maybe. Twenty
0: thirty. Okay, so fine. So twenty thirty. And then you think about, you know, some franchises have been in existence for um, all good while and still don't have a ring. Some franchises uh, get rings very early and then have to wait a long time. Mm-hmm. I think that the the smart money is probably on the Rockies, maybe just because they already exist. Mm-hmm. But...
1: <laughs> that is an important precondition to winning World Series existing.
0: Existing. But yeah. I do think it would be closer... You know, if you wanted to take the expansion team, that's a, that's a – I don't think that's a, f- a fundamentally ridiculous assertion to make, I guess is no, what I would say, you know? It's
1: not. No. I don't think
0: that's a ridiculous thing to say.
1: Yeah. The thing is, Sam wrote an article for the BP Annual that is online also, and I'll, I'll link to it, but just about – how long the effects of being an expansion team can linger because it, it yeah. really is a significant disadvantage to be an expansion sure. team and to not have all the resources that come with being a longstanding franchise in terms of the support from from fans and the revenue right. and the relationships. And, and of course, just having a whole farm system right. built up and everything, you yeah. know, not having to do an expansion draft and just kind of- Oh you know, boy,
0: oh, oh, that's going to be so fun. Oh that will boy, be fun. oh yeah. boy, oh, I can't wait. I can't yeah, wait for expansion. Uh, after. I am kind oh of looking my.
1: forward to that uh, <laughs> whenever that happens. But yeah, that's going to be fun. But as Sam cover. said, like it, it really is kind of a historical institutional disadvantage that lingers. Maybe even after you don't really realize that. Oh yeah, you don't even think of that team as an expansion team anymore. But but the disadvantage of that can linger, and arguably, the Rockies are in that boat. Even though they've been around for thirty years, they're still an expansion team now. I don't think at this point it is primarily the the fact that they were an expansion team that is holding them back. I think it is the environment and it's ownership, right? And ownership can change. Right. <laughs> so so you have to factor that in too. If you said that the Rockies were forever going to be owned by Dick Montfort and nothing ever was going to change about their leadership and ownership. Then maybe you might take the expansion team just because yeah. it's almost certainly going to be better. But by the time we get an expansion team, who knows? Maybe the Rockies are run completely differently too. Right. They are still going to be mile high Yep. and the expansion team is not. So they're not going to have to figure out how to deal with that unless, you know, they're in Mexico City or something. But, right. but right. otherwise, they're probably going to have an easier time of of figuring out how to win in that environment maybe than the Rockies have had at least to this point. But, yeah, I think you still got to go – With the Rockies because they currently exist and because there is potential for change Mm -hmm. and because, hey, they have had decent seasons. They have made the playoffs. They haven't won a division, but they've made the playoffs. And that's all you have to do to be in the running for a World Series. And whatever the expansion team is probably will not be good for a while as you said there right. are some example there are some exceptions to that but sure, most but expansion general, teams are are yeah. bad for a while so so you're looking at 10 15 years i mean until that team is even like a credible contender right. and you got to figure the Rockies will probably have a decent team at some point in that period right <laughs> even if they're not a favorite in any year so yes right. so yes Yeah. Uh, Take heart, Rockies fans. We're saying that you are more likely to win a World Series sooner than a team that does not yet exist. Yeah. I, I hope that Rockies fans who listen to this podcast find this cathartic when we talk in this way because they're probably
0: pretty frustrated
1: too, maybe yeah. if they follow the team closely. So
0: for sure. I yeah. yeah. I I just, you know, I want us to be honest about things. I want us to be clear-eyed but I don't want anybody to come away feeling like they've been given a hard time for no reason, you know, like that's yeah. that's cheap, Ben. And mm-hmm. we're not cheap, we're, you know, we're met metal men. We're precious, <laughs> we're precious podcasters.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, more breaking Tigers news. Oh, boy. Eduardo Rodriguez has exercised his opt-out. His
0: opt-out? Opt out? Okay. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> the least surprising news that one could possibly break?
1: hmm Yes. Hey, yeah.
0: I don't have to do anything with the top 50 for that. So, good That's job, nice. Eduardo.
1: Yeah, you already predicted that that would happen, huh?
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, we we had that one um, kind of figured as yep. a staff. Uh, mm-hmm. is, I'm not saying that I am the sole brilliant mind. I'm saying that a lot of us came to the same logical conclusion at once.
1: <laughs> well, he, I mean, he vetoed that trade to the Dodgers, so it could have been that he's just he like really so enamored of being a Tiger sure. that, yeah, he didn't even want to get the leverage, explore his options, just loved, loved being in Detroit. No, he's yeah. going to... Test the market. I mean, least.
0: he might have. He might have loved being in Detroit and still oh, yeah. think that it's um, prudent for him to test the market. So right. you know, could, those things are could. not mutually exclusive. Again, we're right. not trying to give anybody a hard time.
1: No, he could resign presumably if he wants to, if uh, unless they wouldn't be interested in him. Unless exercising the opt out was the only way he could remain a Detroit Tiger. But that's probably not the case. All right, and another follow up question. This is from Sitar, Patreon supporter. So we answered a, a question about having a lottery to determine who's in the postseason, except it's just that one team that qualifies for the postseason doesn't get to go and right. one team that didn't qualify for the postseason gets to Does. take their spot. Yeah. so so this scenario, instead of swapping out a bad team for a good one, it's all a lottery system. When your division, you're in, don't you've got a shot. So for every win above a threshold, let's say 88 wins, you get one entry into the lottery. In 2023, the Rays get 12, the Blue Jays two, the Rangers three, and the Mariners one. Select three unique winners, They all play the division winners. Or if there are not enough teams that hit 88, you select one and skip the wildcard round. Philly just automatically advances to play Atlanta. You could dynamically tweak the win total, set it just before the trade deadline, perhaps to tweak the competitiveness. Every game is high stakes at the end. The Mariners thought they were done on Sunday, but instead they played for and won a single entry into the lottery. Texas losing on the final day cost them a fourth entry, which might have been pivotal. Philly coast But in 2022, they lost the last two to finish with 87, just missing, meaning the Mets would have had 14 entries to San Diego's two. The benefit of this is the chaos of the last week as teams try to shore up divisions or maximize win totals or simply get to win totals. If you're at 84 wins with six games to go, every game is potentially huge. The drawback is calculating playoff odds would be a nightmare.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Geez. Um, If if that were
1: the only drawback, I'd be fine with that. But uh.
0: I think my issues with this can probably be summed up thusly. I think it's really important for competitive aspiration within the league for teams to feel like they have as much direct control over their fate for as long as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. Because once you introduce the vagaries of a lottery system, however it's configured, however high the threshold of wins, I think that clubs whose owners and Pobos perhaps want to impose restriction on resourcing you gotta, you gotta keep that door closed shut. You know, any little crack that you open to say, "Well, you could say it's not your fault," is that's dangerous. That's a dangerous gap in the. I'm, we got doors. I'm about to use an armor metaphor. You know, you don't want any breakage in the chain that they can attribute to a force outside themselves. I think it is. It is important for teams to feel like they are in the driver's seat so that any, I'm, oh, I got so many metaphors and just a rapid fire, um, so that any um, veering off the road to the playoffs is something that we say is their fault as the driver. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important to maintaining, to maintaining a maximally competitive, ambitious ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this would put a lot of perhaps even more incentive on teams to win their divisions to lock mm-hmm. in that spot but I think that the buy is a sufficiently forceful uh, incentive for clubs to to stick with wanting to win the division I think you don't want any lotteries because you just don't you just don't want some, some pobo being able to say, well, you know, it's just really too bad that the lottery broke that way. You know, yeah.
1: Some what could po-bo we have done, bozo? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. we don't want to. We we want to disincentivize the existence of any pobo bozos. Although mm-hmm. being able to say pobo bozo, bozo pobo, that's delicious, Ben. That's that's very good.
1: If you did have this, I think you'd have to set the bar lower than eighty-eight wins, right? Because. And like,
0: and What are you doing, you know?
1: Yeah, because 88 wins gets you into the playoffs at this point, basically. Right. Right. I mean, the Mariners... No, but 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 close yeah Yeah, and and yeah if you're not in you're at least so close that that you're in contention until the last couple days right like yeah i guess there was one day when the mariners had to play a game when they were out of it but but that's only one day so you're not going to set up a whole system just to do away with one dull day so i think you would have to set it lower so that more teams would be in the running for the lottery who are not Already going to be playoff teams were or, right. or in contention until the last day anyway. And then yeah. then you're just watering down the playoff field even, even more. further. Even so, more. Yeah. I like the idea of just maintaining some stakes up until the very end. But I, sure. we already do that, I think, for enough teams. I yes. wouldn't. I wouldn't want it to be for more teams. I'd want it to be for fewer teams, if anything. Okay. All right. Just a couple... Last playoff related questions before we kind of turn the page on the playoffs. Jeff says, let's assume that the MLBPA wants MLB to follow suit with the NHL and soccer. So when a championship is won, the trophy is handed over first and foremost to the team captain Mm. rather than the team owner. Love it. Maybe I'm attaching too much value to the moment, but let's assume that the owners aren't raging megalomaniacs and are open to discussing the issue. Mm. Let's also assume that they're less than magnanimous and require that the MLBPA bargain for the honor.
0: Mm.
1: What if anything, would or should the players be willing to concede for this change to be made? What would it take, if anything, for the owners to give up that moment in the spotlight with the hunk of metal slash commissioner's (laughs) trophy?
0: Um, I think that they should give up zero things, because <laughs> while I do think that there is symbolic value to that moment, and it does rankle every single time um that it is handed off immediately to the owner, I think that it would be silly to give up anything of real substance to secure that moment, mm-hmm. and... I am skeptical that it would be something that owners would even allow to be bargained. I think that they just assume it and so would say, what are you talking about? Like, it's my trophy. Right. I would so – it would be so nice. Even if it wasn't a player, if it was just the manager, it would be nice. I do think it should be – if we were to rejigger that system and we could pick, like having it go to – A player would be nice. But, like, not every team has a team captain. You know, some teams don't do the captain thing. Right. Um, Some teams do it, and then we all have to hear about it because we we have to know about the vagaries of the Yankees. So, which is fine. But I do think that if we were able to choose, like, the manager seems like a fine option absent um, a team Captain, and you don't want to give it to the MVP because then you step on the MVP moment, and you know, there's often not a lot of surprise associated with the MVP, like, um, but it still is its own moment that should. But maybe then every team should have to have a captain, and it, and it should mm-hmm. go to the team captain, yeah, but you would have you to want designate to, one
1: for that yeah, purpose only, yeah,
0: yeah, you want it to be a member of the roster or the field staff. Um, no no owners and no popos, you know? <laughs> I say no popos because I think that part of the power of the imagery is it's really nice to have someone in the uniform holding the trophy, you mm-hmm. know, for like the, the picture, to make a nice picture. I think that's what you want. And so I'd be mm-hmm. fine if it was the manager or like maybe... I don't know. Maybe everybody loves the bench coach, you know, and they want it mm-hmm. to be the bench coach. That'd be fine too. But give up no stuff for this. But also, maybe start, um, you know, asking. I'm sure that the that the broadcast. Maybe that's the sneaky way to do it is to have the broadcast be the one, you know, the the rights holder be the one to be like, you know, we really would prefer to see like this going to boach first, then. Right. The Crypt Keeper, (laughs) the Texas Rangers. I'm confident he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I think it's fine to say that. Um, Wouldn't it be weird if we got an email? He's like, no, I in fact do, (laughs) and I resent that, and I will not listen to your suggestions about a Pride Night.
1: (laughs) Dick Monfort emails fans all the time. Seems like you can email Dick Montfort; He'll email you back. But yeah. he'd have to um, win a World Series to be the one in this oh, scenario. And we just answered burn. an email about that. So, uh, yeah, uh, symbolically, I think it would be nice for the optics for the players sure. to have it confirmed at that moment that, yeah, the players are the ones who win it. the World Series. Yeah, right? They do it. It's, it's, it's not... Uh, Congratulating yeah. the person who paid them. it's the the people who did the thing on the field. It would be yes. nice, but it's already a great moment for the players. Yeah. they just won a World Series yeah, and it, it's not like you know people are giving the owner all the credit or anything so so it probably wouldn't be worth giving up anything of, of right. real value to get no. this but but it would be nice, yes.
0: it would be nice. Well, and it's so funny because there are years where I don't want the owner to take it first. But, like, this year, okay, I want to be very clear about my feelings on the Crypt Keeper. Maybe me calling him the Crypt Keeper kind of gives it away. But, like, I'm not a fan of the um, Ranger's owner as, like, a human person with influence. Um <laughs> And I would sure prefer that they uh, have a, a Pride Night. I do think that in this year, like, when Chris Young is like, I you know, I want to thank him for, like, the resources he brought to this club. Like, that was a useful thing to say um, mm-hmm. within the broader landscape of baseball, even if I um, don't have um, super warm feelings toward him as an individual. But um, But generally, it's just like they're like, we want to thank the owner. And I'm like, yeah, but like... But maybe maybe going to the network is the way to backdoor it. You know, maybe they're like we the first shot, uh, it would be better TV Mm. if it were, you know, the manager or it were the team captain, you know, imagine a world where the Yankees won the World Series this year. If you're a fox, wouldn't you rather have Aaron Judge in that thing? You mm-hmm. would. That's better yeah, TV,
1: of course. Yeah, yeah. I think in that moment, you want to see the players. If I were making the devil's advocate case, I would say that obviously an owner is pretty important oh, to yeah. your your chances of winning or not winning, as 100%. we were just talking about the Rockies, right? Yes, so absolutely. I would say having a good owner doesn't guarantee you a, a championship, but having a really bad owner. Almost guarantees that you won't win one. Yes, or it's really it's significantly lower. to have to
0: work against. Yeah, right.
1: Because it's it's not even purely the payroll or the level of support. Like the Rockies right. aren't aren't the cheapest team in the world. They but aren't. It's it's just who is that owner going to trust? Entrust with running the team, right. right? And and the culture of the Absolutely. team and the expectations of the team. Yeah. So in that sense, <laughs> the owner does i mean it does help put that that team in that position to win yes. more than any individual player does it's just that in that moment i think when the players just won on the field you, you kind of want to hand the trophy to them you know yes. you want to see the players skate around with the stanley cup and get to bring it around you don't want to see yeah. it handed to the owner even if the owner ultimately like is you know responsible i guess as right. much as any other individual for for the win
0: i just had an incredibly ungenerous thought should i share it it's a little Please. mean okay um what if the owner did skate around with the stanley cup but it, the he was required to fall <laughs> Well, that's not a nice thought. It would would be
1: much more likely that uh, if you handed one of the the uh, older owners in the league a Stanley Cup and and said skate with this, yeah, Yeah, that seems
0: to be clear. I am not an either a a franchise owner or especially old, and I would. I'm going to do swear. I would eat. on the ice, if I had to skate mm-hmm. around holding the Stanley Cup aloft, there's yeah. no way I don't get out of balance and just like make a scene, probably fall on it, injure myself somehow. Then there's mm-hmm. blood on the ice, and they got to do a whole thing, you know? Yeah. I would, but um, yeah, maybe if they had to fall down, but in yeah. a funny way, not in, a, in, in an in 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 injury kind of way, because like what I would hurt do. myself.
1: Yeah, just but, a a pratfall. Yeah, a but, pratfall. but
0: yeah, funny for for comedy, not for not for spite you know what, for what they could
1: do if mlb if rob manfred didn't want to hand the trophy to his bosses which i'm sure he's fine with but right. they could just make the commissioner's trophy much heavier because oh. uh, apparently it weighs about 30 pounds now it weighs
0: 30 pounds i guess that makes sense how much of yeah. that is the base though
1: yeah i don't know but a but a if you if you made it extremely heavy then mm. Then an owner would adol- not. Yeah, It needs you'd to, have to- <laughs> be
0: heavy enough that only Adolis Garcia can lift it. Yes, and then you've right. solved so many of your problems. okay yeah. or no, you just gotta get up there, Dolly.
1: Even if it were just heavy enough that the owner was like worried about Ooh. not being able to, or yeah. might lose my balance, or I might look weak in this moment. Yeah. And then they would want someone strong up there yeah. to support them. So, mm. so yeah, maybe just like maybe year by year just add a pound. You know, just make it gradually heavier and they won't even notice. But then it'll get to be 50 pounds, 60 pounds. And and then I can't lift that. Right. I've got to Mm. call over my star player here who is strong enough to to lift this. Yeah, that's yeah. the solution, and mm. that way you save face, like it doesn't become an issue, and no one realizes what happened. It's right. not like we're we're stripping this away from you and handing it to the players physically and figuratively. It's just, yeah. oh wow, this is actually pretty heavy, I better I need some help here. <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> that's the it way is- to do it.
0: It is kind of surprising to me that there hasn't... And maybe there's been an instance of this and I'm just not remembering it. So I will I will allow for the fallibility of my own memory here. But it is sort of surprising to me that we haven't had an owner be like, you know how I can like foster some really good will?
1: Mm-hmm. I could
0: be like, this isn't my trophy to lift. It's the mm-hmm. guys and then have them kind of come up and do it. I don't think we've seen that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. it would be... You know, we like, we do like to be pandered to, I think mm-hmm. is the thing. One thing I've learned from the Phillies is that we enjoy being pandered to. And I think that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I really yeah.
1: do. Right. Mm. So I wonder. If there, it'd be nice if there was an owner at some point, just as a gesture, who would, who would say, "Yeah, my players should have this moment." I'm sure the owners like having that moment, sure, because it's like, "Hey, this is when I I get to brag about owning this team." And right, you know, it, it, teams are a pretty good investment, but also yeah. you do it because you get the value of the the fame and yes. people know who you are, and and people will appreciate that you spent on the team and delivered a championship to that city and everything. Right. So. They probably would mind if this were taken away from them, but... I wonder if it came down to would they make an actual sacrifice, (laughs) like if the players were willing to give them something financial, some kind of concession, maybe when it came down to actual dollars. Like, you know, that's how you become a sports team owner is that you care a lot about that stuff. (laughs) So, So maybe if something actually were at stake and it's like, hmm, I could lift the trophy or I could become slightly richer than I already am, then maybe that would be enough for them.
0: And we do want them to want that moment, right? Oh, yeah That's that true. is that that is the tension of this whole project because we, you know, we want the the swell of the crowd, the lift of the thing to be a powerful, you know, pull for them, um mm-hmm. because it does seem to inspire a lot of, you know, like if I think that. Some of it also depends on like who the owner is like people probably would have less issue with like John Middleton hoisting the trophy in that moment, even if they'd still prefer that it be, you know, Harper or whoever, um, because like that guy has actually done. Stuff to try to like build a relationship with the fan base that in his case is like it does seem kind of sincere and his comments on like what the purpose of being an owner of a major league franchise is are like in line with what we want to hear owners saying when asked that question. So Mm -hmm. some of it probably does depend on the owner and like I will, you know, even when the Phillies win, like I'll I'll begrudge him that moment less than others. You know, there Mm -hmm. are owners out there where uh, like, just to pick one that like might be near and dear to my heart. Like um, I have viewed John Stanton as something of an obstacle to um, the Mariners postseason aspirations because of what I perceive to be his unwillingness to spend. Um, And so if, and when they win, if he is still the, the face of the ownership group, and is still the principal owner, I'm going to, I'm going to, you can't see it, Ben, but I'm making a little face right now. I'm making mm-hmm. a little like mm, face and I will mm-hmm. make that little mm, face when, if, and when that happens. But like when, if the Phillies win, I'm going to be like, yeah, good job, John. Like, mm-hmm. You get it, dude. Like you, you're not one of us, to be clear. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you get the purpose of this thing in a way that aligns more closely with my understanding of it than seemingly anyone else. So
1: yeah, yeah. I guess maybe it's just because I'm reading a New York Times article from this summer about it that points out like this is a very American thing. Yeah. So this is not the case like in international soccer. Yeah, The article says the franchise model gives U.S. team owners collective decision-making power in their leagues, ensuring that they're infinitely more powerful than anything comparable in Europe. Hmm. So that could be part of it. So like when the Red Sox win a World Series, John Henry gets to hoist the trophy – but when Liverpool won the Champions League and the Premier League, he was not there. The, the players got to do that, oh, right? Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Huh. So it's it's a kind of an American thing, but it goes back a long, long way. And yeah. this article only had one example of it not happening, at least in the sports where it does typically happen. I guess at the end of the 2019 and 2020 season in the bubble, the Lakers owner, Jeannie oh. Bus. Said that the players could come get the award before before the owners, but Bus had been at a, a bunch of past title ceremonies, and I guess huh. maybe felt like I'll give them one. Yeah. <laughs> so. oh,
0: wow, Americans valorizing capital in a way that other countries don't. I don't know, Ben. You're gonna you can knock me over with a feather with that assertion. I know. Sometimes yeah. I have to play cosplay as Bauman a little bit just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> yep.
1: All right. Let me wrap up with a, a brief stat blast here. They'll take a
0: data set sorted by something like ERA minus or OBS plus. And then they'll tease out some interesting tidbit discuss.
1: Okay, so we are still sponsored by Tops Now. And uh, as I speak, you can still get Tops Now cards. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's uh, In fact, I'm looking right now at the Tops Now site, and you can get one of Evan Carter hoisting the trophy. Yep. And you can get one of the Texas Rangers as a, a whole holding up the trophy and celebrating. I do not see one of Ray Davis. Holding a trophy. So it appears to be it appears to be only the players. So, yeah. so that's some consolation, right? Yeah. You, you might not get to hold the trophy first, but you do get a tops now card. Yes, Whereas you if you're the owner, you you do not get to be on the tops now baseball card. So that's yeah. that's nice, I would that's say. That's nice. Yeah. So for now, at least if you're hearing this shortly after we post it, you can still go get some Rangers holding the trophy. And soon enough, I suppose there will not be new tops Now cards because uh, we're in the off season now. But, yeah. of course, you can go get a selection of many other tops cards. Yes. But you can find all of the offerings at tops.com And we will link to the page with uh, tops Now specifically. And I think it's kind of fun just to look at the page just to see how many Topps Now cards uh, certain players and teams got. But our stop last today... So here's a question from Sam about being the best pound-for-pound player. Sam says, I think I stumbled upon the perfect Effectively Wild question. After Jose Altuve's Game 5 home run, my dad said, you know, pound-for-pound, Altuve is the best hitter of all time. I, of course, said, what are you talking about? No way. He said, no, I mean, literally, Altuve is the most valuable hitter per pound of his body. I was blown (laughs) away by this thought. I naturally wanted to dispute it, but I kind of saw his point. Yeah. Who, Who do you think is the most valuable hitter and pitcher of all time per pound? Obviously, interpret this how you see fit. Maybe war or jaws per pound or by inch. I know mm. players' heights are disputable. So are their weights, by the way. <laughs> uh, oh,
0: yeah. I think the weights are even less reliable than listed heights. Yeah,
1: right. And uh, Sam says, P.S. If you answer this, I will finally stop freeloading and sign up via Patreon.
0: <laughs> Aww.
1: It's, it's not why hey, I, Sam? I chose this, but, but thank you. I don't know if I'll, I'll have a satisfactory enough answer for you to get you to sign up for Patreon. Although if you do, I appreciate it. But I, I went to some trouble to do this because it, it's kind of hard to get a full list of player heights and weights and wars for all players. But I, I did that and joined a bunch of spreadsheets together. And so I have war per inch and war per pound and uh, broke it down in both ways, and I can tell you the answers, I guess. Uh, would you—I <laughs> I know you hate uh, guessing things, oh, but— I hate
0: guessing. Uh, let's see. I mean, I imagine El is like, pretty high on that list. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would put him at number one, but Mm-mm. maybe I—no.
1: No. Mm. no. <laughs> Spoiler, no.
0: <laughs> no. Um. Mm-hmm who are our short kings, you know, like yeah. who are the, are the shortest kings? Um, mm-hmm.
1: this, is, uh, this is almost a trick question in a way. Yeah? And uh, so I feel bad torturing you. Oh. So I, I will, uh, I will stop because the answer for the leader in war per inch is Babe Ruth. Oh. <laughs> it's not a short king. It's just a king. Babe Ruth is number one on the war per inch leaderboard and on okay. the the war per pound leaderboard. Yeah. Barry Bonds. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's still just the best players, basically. It's still because just the best players. The problem with this question is right. that the variation. If you have a lot in, of war. Yeah, the, right. Yeah, the, the, there's more the,
0: variation the, in war than there is in height and weight. Exactly. I
1: imagine. Yeah. Yes, right. Because all players, I mean, you know, they're within what's the range, like a foot and a half or, yeah. or so, right? I mean. You know, almost every player is within a, a fairly narrow range, like on a sure. percentage basis, right? So, in terms of percentage, like yeah, Jose Altuve is is a lot shorter than some other players who were, you know, a foot taller than he is, but but he's still most of their heights, right? Right. right. <laughs> Whereas with war, you could be many multiples the the total of of someone else's, right? Right. So there's just so much more variation that it it doesn't actually produce that much difference, unfortunately. So it's just right. not a very fun answer. And it's right. still the the overall war leaders are also the so, you know, it's uh like Babe Ruth was worth two point Two six war per per pound. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, Barry Bonds is directly behind him, and then Barry and then Willie Mays is directly behind him. It's like indistinguishable almost from your your normal, you know. Okay. And Barry Bonds is worth the 0.89 war per pounds. I mean, to try to make it a little more interesting. I I looked for, like, ranks, so I, I did players' ranks in just war and then also their rank in war per pound or war per inch or whatever to try to see if there was a difference in ranks maybe that, that might be kind of interesting. But it's not really all that interesting, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, Altuve is listed at 170 pounds is the thing, which is not – that much of an outlier that's still right. on the light side for a, a major leaguer but he's well he's a built muscular guy yeah yeah and and also his listed height is uh i'm pretty sure significantly taller than he actually is so what it's is a his little listed height I, I, he's at five six i think right which uh, uh
0: yeah that's definitely a lie i mean like he is yeah. he uh a lie puts <laughs> such judgment on it well. i think that's <laughs> inaccurate. <laughs> I mean, like, he's, he, I'm 5'5", five, five, and he, I believe he's 5'6 in spikes, but I don't True. think he's 5'6 as a, as, you know, flat feet on the ground, no, standing so. even just, like, a normal, with a normal posture. Um no. Yeah, like... He's taller than I am in spikes, but only maybe by an inch. Yeah.
1: He's yeah. he's really not I mean, I've seen him pictured next to Ken Rosenthal, who right. again declares his height in his bio to be five, yeah, four and a half. An and actual there's, short just, king. Yeah. there's not yeah. There's not much of a difference there. No. So 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 that's part of it is that uh, the outliers are are kind of going to minimize the degree to which they're outliers right, right? they're just going to add an inch or two or subtract an inch or two or or maybe some track some some LBs potentially too if they're tipping the scale at a a high number
0: I think that they um are more likely uh here's my assertion I think that they are more likely to Just not update them than they are to fib about them actively. And I guess that's a way of fibbing about it. But I think that in general, they just don't get updated very often. And Mm -hmm. so you end up with guys, yeah. And see, you know, here's the funniest thing. It isn't even, it isn't even... Jose Altuve's height that's funny. It's Alex Bregman's height that's funny right, because right, yeah. my guy, we can see you next to him <laughs> mm-hmm. and you are not 6 feet tall. There's yeah. no way. There's no <laughs> so, way. Oh, Alex. So if you God. look at the
1: ranks so like Altuve, so his his he's obviously still playing and a productive right. player. He's still adding on to his career war total, but he is 177th among position players in career WAR, but one hundred thirty sixth in WAR per inch. Uh-huh. So, so he's forty one ranks higher on on that leaderboard, which is actually a pretty big difference. At least when you are talking about like that that close to the top. So, the only guy above him who has a bigger disparity is. Willie keeler who of mm. course is known as we Willie killer right Wee so so yeah he's got a a difference in rank of 44 spots that i think is is the highest for a player that that good and productive and i did look who has the biggest difference in rank of anyone and i guess not a surprise it's Eddie Goodell, the, the true oh, short sure. short king of Major League Baseball, right, who yeah. uh, walked in his one plate appearance right. and produced positive war, right. you know, just uh, if you go out to some decimal places, he was yeah. above replacement level. So if you do a, a war per inch with him, then it, it boosts him <laughs> up the, the leaderboard, right? But right. yeah, for, for most guys, it's just it's not going to make enough of a difference. So right. I know what what sam's dad means like it feels like it 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 should be a good question and maybe there's some some other way to slice and dice the data here that would produce a more interesting answer but yeah Yeah. pound per pound
0: it's it's still still,
1: just it's still just gonna be the best hitters basically yeah
0: and and yeah that makes sense like you're right the distribution of heights versus the distribution of war it's not we don't have 50 foot tall people you know Mm -hmm. we don't have We, there's no person that would yield the Home Depot skeleton, you know, no. like mm-hmm. that guy doesn't exist, which mm-hmm. there's a Jack Skellington on my mm-hmm. block now, Ben, you know, and they put it up pretty late. So I hope they just leave it and put a like Santa hat on him and just lean into the I just sent you a link to a uh, a tweet that mm-hmm. has that that is not. there's a six inches of difference between those two men.
1: Oh, Bregman and Altuve. No, yeah. definitely not. Well,
0: mm-hmm. Definitely not. Like, he's mm-hmm. 5'10". And you know mm-hmm. what? Alex, just say. Just say. Just <laughs> say. It's very funny because the tweet I found that has the best picture is about them, like, right after the sign-stealing scandal. And I'm um, recasting these apologies as being about lying about their heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, would be a f- uh, that would be a funnier, less um like morally devastating scandal cuz it's mm-hmm. like yeah you're just a man like you, you, it's, a lot of you seem to have a need to fib about this i don't know <laughs> yes
1: yes yeah and if i were going to be really rigorous about this probably i'd want to have like a height plus and weight plus that adjusted right. for era because right. players have gotten so much taller and heavier right. over time yeah. that it's like it's more impressive, like era-adjusted pound for pound. Like, yes. at, at an earlier era, Altuve's size wouldn't have been so extraordinary, but now right. it is. So. Right that might be something you would want to factor in and yeah obviously the heights and the weights are going to be inaccurate and especially with a weight yeah you're dealing with one number for a guy's entire career it obviously Generally, fluctuates yeah. you know sometimes quite a bit <laughs> so right. yeah we're we're limited by the the data and the granularity that we have here unfortunately
0: yeah like i think i think they do adjust them um yeah. on occasion and they tend to do it like i bet Okay, so like there was a time w- when he was a Seattle Mariner when like Catal Marte was not 210 mm-hmm. because he was a the skinny little young guy who had just had mono. And so yeah. like he wasn't 210 pounds. And then he went to Arizona and he stopped having mono. And, you know, he added good, like, muscle so mm-hmm. that he could hit for more power. And he, now he's listed at 210. But I bet when he was a mariner, like, that was probably not true. He was probably not listed at his mono weight, but he mm-hmm. was probably also not listed at 210. So
1: Right. Yeah. 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 One thing I wish, people sometimes ask, like, what data do we wish that we had? It'd be nice if we had really accurate height and weight data, but also yeah. it'd be nice if we tracked that yes. over time because yes. we don't, as you said, it might get updated in real time, but right. then when we look up Cattell Marte decades hence, it'll right. just show that one number. He was, you was 210, know? yeah. Right. It'd yeah. be great if we could look up the way that we have like an age line, you know, on the stat page, it'd be cool if we had like a weight line so that we knew, what did you weigh that year, you know? (laughs) And then we could see like, what's the weight aging curve, you know, how much weight do players typically put on or take off and how does that correlate to performance? Because sometimes players will be like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I lost a lot of weight. And sometimes players will be like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I gained a lot of weight. yeah, And and sometimes they will go back and forth where it's like, I put on a bunch of weight last year right. and it was too much. I, I felt uh, fatigued Slow. or bulky or whatever. Yeah. And, and then I uh, sometimes they'll be like, I took off a bunch of weight and actually that was too much. I felt right. weak, like I lost some stamina. I, I ran yeah. out of gas. So it'd yeah. be cool if we had the way that at Baseball Reference, you, you have a number of headshots and you can look up, oh, that was his right. headshot that year. That was his headshot this year. It'd be cool if we knew your weight for each year instead of yeah. it just being your last listed weight is your right. listed weight forever. Forever.
0: Right? And it's, you know, it's an imperfect measure because, like, what we're really interested in when we're thinking about, like, we're we're trying to think about body composition more than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. And weight yeah. isn't necessarily, like, a good – Always a good proxy for that because, like, sometimes guys add what we call good weight, which, and what we really mean is they've added muscle and mm-hmm. so can hit for power, is generally yeah. what, and with, and with pitchers, what we generally mean is their ability to sort of endure, right? That they are going to be less prone to being buffeted by fatigue and, you know, might be able to sort of stand up to the rigors of a season, right? This has been the concern with Tristan McKenzie, right? It's like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. Tristan, like you look like you're just going to snap in half because you're generating big velocity from this like tiny frame, you know, and he's always been like a lanky guy. So it's not a perfect, you know, as it is in, in many aspects of health, like not a perfect proxy but it isn't it would be interesting to sort of track over time Mm -hmm. and see how it might especially inform like power generation on the hidden side yeah
1: yeah and then i'll i'll leave you with this since i wasn't able to provide the most satisfactory answer there that question was inspired by altuve I was inspired by someone at the opposite end of the height-weight spectrum, Frank Howard. So Frank oh. Howard, he just died. He yeah. was 87 years old, and he is listed at 6'7", 255, just a giant. And especially yeah. in the era when he played coming oh, up in yeah. the late 50s with the Dodgers, he was enormous. Yeah. <laughs> People were like, Cowering I didn't know they figure. made baseball players this size. You know, it's yeah. like it's like when, when Banyama comes along. Oh, that was yeah, kind of what it was like, right? Wow. Which Which, it's different in in baseball, I was thinking, because, like, someone being bigger is not automatically a good thing. It it can be a good like the thing that's so special about Wemanyama is that he's really big but he has the skills of a smaller player. Like he yes. he has point guard style skills even yes. though he has center type size. Like even, you know, big for a center. He's seven four but he's also able to dribble and pass and shoot yeah. for threes and do everything, right? But but like his cheat code, his life hack is that he is like as athletic as smaller guys, but he's a bigger guy, and right. the the hoop is still at the same height for yep. him as it is as every But in baseball, it's it's not the same because you're bigger. Right. Well, your strike zone is also bigger now, and maybe your right. swing is longer, and there it's are ways in which it's a disadvantage. Yeah,
0: relationship, right. Yeah, For sure. So, like
1: maybe Otani is the Wembenyama. Like people call Wembenyama a unicorn just because he's able to move so well, even though he's so big. But it's not like his skills are different from everyone. It's like he has the same skills at a bigger size, I guess. Whereas a baseball player like Otani just has different skills. He's not bigger than everyone he is bigger than most guys but but it's not his size so much as what he can do and his size helps with that obviously but like if someone came along who was is seven feet tall it wouldn't be like oh he's better than otani now because he's bigger unless he was also a two-way player it's just it's not as as clear a correlation between all else being equal height is good but but frank howard was a really good player and especially a really good hitter and just a real slugger and masher and raker. Yeah. And I think probably underrated, if anything, because a lot of his uh, good years came like during like the year of the pitcher was maybe his best offensive season. He had a 170 WRC plus that year. But if you don't do the adjustment, he had right. 274, 338, 552, which you look at that now and you're like, eh, it's OK. right yeah. But but at the time, that was amazing
0: right, to right. hit that
1: well but the thing that stood out to me is that he had a huge disparity in how good he was at hitting and how good he was at everything else uh, he mm. was an enormous man <laughs> i guess i guess the wembanyama baseball would be like if you're frank howard size and you're also like extremely fast and good at defense like you know you had kind of like speedster skills but you sure. were also enormous that might be the women which is like kind of Aaron Judge being yeah. Frank Howard's size, but also being a good defender. Right now, he's not like a great stolen base guy or anything. But, but yeah, if you had someone like that who was like stealing tons of bases and winning gold gloves, and also so huge that he could hit the ball to the moon. But you know, Judge is is uh, more well rounded than you expect someone his size to be. Sure, Frank Howard was not well rounded no. as a as a player. <laughs> but he was really good at some things and not yeah. so good at, at other things. He was an average base runner actually, but but so his batting runs at Fangraphs 325.3. So that's that's really really good, yeah. right? That's uh, above average. So, you know, 325 wins uh, runs above average on on a, as a batter, but then 111 uh, on defense. And then another negative 94 with the positional adjustment because, you know, he was uh, an outfielder, first baseman, corner guy, right? And so overall fangrass has the the offense and the defense stats so offense is you know just your your batting performance and then right. defense is defense plus the positional adjustment right. so his offense plus 325 his defense negative 205 Ooh. so i wanted to know who else has had that kind of frank howard hondo style split and by the way, his other listed nicknames at Baseball Reference, Hondo, was the one that he really got called. And, yeah. uh, you know, inspired by by John Wayne, he couldn't be called Duke because he came up with Duke Snyder. So oh, it was like, sure. okay, let's name him after a, a John Wayne character and he'll be Hondo. But the Capitol Punisher and the Washington Monument, also <laughs> pretty excellent nicknames yeah, too. Yeah, wow. And uh, so here's the club. It's a a sweet 16 of players who had at least 200 offense and at least negative 200 defense. Okay. Okay. Here's the club. Frank Howard is is one member. Frank Thomas. Okay. Yeah. So Frank Thomas plus 653 offense, negative 267 defense. Wow. And then Jim Tome. All right. 554 offense negative 200 defense just makes it in there willie mccovey all right 498 offense and negative 206 defense and manny ramirez he's in the club he's at uh, 624 offense negative 276 defense gary sheffield is in the club 575 offense, -300 defense. And with Sheffield, that's why he's not a Hall of Famer yet, right? I mean, right. maybe PD stuff too as with Manny, but but yeah. that's a big part of it. Dave Winfield, who is a 406 offense, -243 defense. David Ortiz, who is 407 offense, -247 defense. And those are all the Hall of Famers. Wow. Actually, there's one more. Oh. <laughs> but Jason Giambi is okay. also in, in the club. That's 431 offense, negative 223 defense. Rusty Staub, okay. who is a 282 offense, negative 216 defense. Carlos Delgado who is uh, 368 offense, negative 209 defense. Some of these guys, yeah, that's what keeps you out of the hall. Like, people will be like, oh, yeah, Sheffield or Delgado. Oh, yeah, but look at the defense. And, you know, he only played this position. Then you have Frank Howard. Then you have Harold Baines. I forgot he was a Hall of Famer for a second. (laughs) But... Two forty-three offense, negative two thirty-five defense. Then Greg the Bull Luzinski is on the list. He's Luzinski. at uh, yeah two sixty and negative two oh one. Don Baylor is at two oh five and negative two thirty-three. Adam Dunn. Is mm. in the club. He's at 240 and negative 252, and then Danny Tartable, who okay. was at 223 and negative 202. So that's the the Frank Howard club, the Sweet 16 of players with at least 200 batting and negative 200 defense. And I I like that kind of player. You know, it's yeah. fun. Y- yeah, you kind of. I guess the disadvantage for Hondo, it's it's <laughs> he retired in 1973. The first year of the DH, you know, like he would have been a perfect candidate for that, probably. So it's it's a cruel irony, I suppose, that he retired in the very first year of the designated hitter. He never got a chance to do it before then. It's uh, it's a shame, I guess. He had uh, 76 games as a DH in his last season, but came along a little too late. But he had a great career and uh, was very well-liked and went on to manage and coach and everything else. And you always knew when you saw him, (laughs) even if it was in a coach's uniform or something, it's like, oh, yeah, there's Frank Howard. He's huge. He still is.
0: (laughs) Wemby. Hmm. Now I'm just thinking about Wemby.
1: Yeah. A lot of people are these days. Yeah. Well, even if you didn't vow to support us on Patreon, if we stat blasted your question, you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild, as have the following five listeners who all signed up to pledge some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay almost ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. Nathan Frishberg, Wilson Hamilton, Oliver Williams, Josh Ballack, and Peter Armstrong. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Discord group for patrons only, monthly bonus episodes, priority email answering, whether on or off air, discounts on merch and ad-free Fangraphs memberships, and so much more, patreon.com slash effectivelywild. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can also message us through the Patreon site, but anyone and everyone can contact us via email at podcastatfangraphs.com. Send us your questions and comments. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectivelywild. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at ew pod and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We will be back with another episode early in the week. Talk to you then. Number one fangrass baseball podcast. The stat cast is stat blast. T-O-P-S plus when the stats need contrast. Zips and steamer for the forecast. Coming in high, big boss on a hovercraft. No notes. Finally free agent draft, burn the ships, flames jumping for a nap, cow FEMA, boning on the bat shaft, makers on the butt feet, never say your hot seat, games are always better with the pivot table spreadsheet.